we men got uh, the short end of the stick on that reading, didn't we? Yeah, I see some of you. Yeah, it, uh, it kind of reminds me of that the story about the uh, man and the woman that were driving. They both had a car accident. Both vehicles were totaled. And it was a miracle that everybody was okay. The woman got out. She said, wow, it's a miracle. I think this is God's indication that you and I should be friends. And the guy said, yeah, I agree. And, and she said, hey, look, I, I had a bottle of wine in my car and it, it didn't break. I think we should celebrate. Uh, and so the guy said, well, yeah, I agree. So the lady popped the, the bottle and handed it to the guy. And the guy took several big swigs. Handed it back to her. She put the cork in it and handed it back to him. He said, aren't you going to have some? He said, she said, well, no, I think I'm just going to wait here for the police to arrive. <laughs> the short end of the stick again. <laughs> well, uh, I have sort of designed the reading this way for a particular purpose that I'm going to tell you about in a few minutes. But let me kind of give you the bigger idea of what I want to do over the next several weeks. For a long, long time, I have never had the courage to preach about Jesus' resurrection and what it means just to think through deeply about all the different aspects, what it meant to people long ago and what it means for you and me. But over the next several weeks, that's what I'm proposing to do. I want to talk about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us living daily life and what it means for us, the church. I want to talk about what the resurrection of Jesus means for life after death. I want to talk about what it means for heaven and how we understand heaven. And I also want to talk about what it means for the end, end of the world and all that. So these are, these are really big issues. These are challenging issues. And man, I need your prayers that I won't mess this up. That this will be, that this will be something meaningful. But it all starts today. And it all starts with the resurrection of Jesus. Now here's what I want you to get about the resurrection of Jesus. It is, it is an event that nobody could have predicted. It is, it is the most surprising, shocking, unbelievable event in all of human history. And nobody, nobody could have imagined that this would indeed happen. But it did. And I want to show you this morning some of the things that, at least for me, they just make me curious. Some of the surprising, some of the unexpected things. And I hope that you'll find some curiosity in this too. So, to start out, I'm going to need a couple of folks to volunteer. And I've already asked Mr. Joe over here, and I've asked Mr. Mark over here. So Mark, if you'll come stand over here. And these guys willingly volunteer with a little arm twist. Right? All right, so Joe, I'm going to give you a clock with no numbers on it. Everybody see that? I'm giving it to Joe because Joe is the father of time. <laughs> you know, when Joe reads scripture, I always feel like God is reading today. <laughs> so th this is where it all begins, over here. This is the beginning of time. All right, now we've got to live through history a while. We get over here, we get over here, we get over to Mark. Mark is the son of the end because this represents the end of time. Actually, I think Mark is the son of anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> but some of us think about the end that way. 
Alright, so imagine a straight line between the beginning and the end. This is how most ancient Jewish people thought about time. That there was a beginning and that it was moving toward a purposeful end. Now, not all the Jews believed that. The Sadducees didn't believe that. But most Jewish people did. This was very different from other cultures. Other cultures view history as circular. History as repeating itself over and over again, going nowhere. But the Jewish folks always believed that God created in the beginning, called it good, and in spite of all the sin and brokenness in this world, that we were headed to a purposeful end down here. Now, I don't know how you all have thought about the ending of the world, but uh, I think most of us think God is like crazy. It's chaos. That's why I call him the son of art and <laughs> Right? Don't we? I mean, we sort of think well, the sun is going to implode, the earth is going to explode, you know, there's, there's going to be a nuclear war, everything's, everything's going to get killed off, that sort of thing. Not such a big deal in our minds, right? Because we're off in heaven. Our destiny is heaven. But here's what I want you to know. That's not really what the Bible says. Okay, so let's give, let's give these guys a hand. Let's let them sit down. Father time, uh, son of the end. That's not really what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? In the passage that David says, it says at the end... There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe what Scripture is saying is that what happens at the end is that heaven and earth come together. So in other words, all of this history in this physical world ends up being of value when you get over here. And what happens is God, God renews it. God renews us. God, God takes all the, all the sin that's been a part of our lives, all the injustice, all the hate, all the violence, all the illness, all the death. God takes all those things and wipes that off the slate. And what you have at the end of time is this brand new, renewed world. Renewed world. Right here. Now as a part of that, Ancient Jewish people believed that uh, everybody was going to rise from the dead. That there was going to be, at the end of time, a general resurrection. Everybody's going to rise. It's what Martha, the sister of Lazarus, believed. You remember what she said? She said, um, I know that my brother will rise on the last day. Day. What's she talking about? She's talking about that end. But here's the thing nobody anticipated. Nobody anticipated that one person would rise from the dead in the middle of history. In the middle of time. Nobody anticipated. It wasn't in their thinking. It wasn't in their mindset. Everybody assumed that there might be a resurrection. Anybody who believed it. But it was going to be over here. And it was going to be everybody. But nobody thought there would be one person who would rise from the dead right smack dab in the middle of time. But that's what happened with Jesus. It blew people's minds. 
So my uh, four-year-old grandson is here today, Tommy, and I'm so glad he's here. On, uh, on uh, April Fool's Day, his daddy, who is a bit of an April Fool, <laughs> a little bit of a joker, played, played a, little, a little joke on Tommy. Uh, Tommy came in for preschool, and, and, he, and uh, his dad said, you want a snack? And he, he said, yeah. And he said, well, how about some uh, Cheerios and milk? So that's what his daddy got him. And brought it bowl in, set it down in front of him. Well, Tommy grabbed the spoon and, and tried to pull it out, and it wouldn't pull out. Uh, and he pulled a little harder, and the milk and the Cheerios came up in one, as one with the spoon because he had frozen it. And Tommy's face was just like this. It was like I saw it. Because it wasn't in his thinking, right? It wasn't what he was anticipating or expecting. I think that the resurrection of Jesus had a little bit of shock just like this. This, this, this was just not in anybody's thinking. All right, that's the first surprising thing. All right, here's the second one. And that's, that's the way, the form that Jesus appeared in his resurrected body. Now, you've heard and I've heard for years that Jesus didn't really rise from the grave, that basically uh, those early disciples had hallucinations. They were distraught. They, they had hallucinations. Or they, what they saw was some sort of spirit or some sort of ghost. So let's talk, let's talk about the hallucination thing. We know people have hallucinations when they're sick. We know people in hospital have hallucinations. We know people uh, under drugs have, have hallucinations. And some of you, I mean, some of you have told me about uh, hallucination experiences that you've had, particularly when you've been in a hospital. Let me, let me ask you a question, though. Do, do you have, do, do we normally have a lot of people seeing the same hallucination and the same hallucination all at the same time? You know, unless we're talking about Bonnaroo or we're talking about Woodstock. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. But it wasn't just one person that saw Jesus a lot. And it wasn't really just the disciples, just a few of the disciples the Apostle Paul, writing about 25 years after these events, which as I'm older now, I realize is not a very long time, said, he said, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Now take that in. I don't think that was a hallucination. I don't think, I don't think hallucinations happen like that. All right, what about the idea that he's a ghost? Now we know that folks in Jesus' day believed in ghosts. But hey, a lot of people in our day believe in ghosts, right? I just Googled, you know, man, thousands of websites came up. But, but there have been a lot of TV shows, a lot of TV shows about ghosts, about haunted houses, about paranormal, all this. There's an interest in this. But I think the way you and I experienced this idea is mostly like this. When a loved one dies, many of you have said to me, and others have said to me, Throughout my lifetime, I have felt my loved one nearby. I felt my, my husband. I felt my wife. I felt that person guiding me, with me. Now, how, how do you explain that? There's something here about death and dying we don't fully understand. So, so it's a fair question. Was Jesus' appearance to disciples like that? 
It was not. Here's, here's the surprising thing. I think that's what everybody anticipated. It was not. Why? Because Jesus had physicality to his body. I mean, why else would Mary Magdalene, in this story we read, have confused him for the garden? And why would he have said to her, do not touch me unless there's the possibility of actually touching him? And we know. We, we know that, that the disciple Thomas, Jesus said to him, put your, put your finger right here where they put the nails through my hand. And he said, over here, touch my side. See where they put the spear. He was touchable. He had physicality to this resurrection body of his. He ate. He ate fish in the Gospel of Luke. We know that he ate a number of meals with the disciples. You don't do that unless you have some physical reality to your body. But it was a very different kind of body, wasn't it? Why? Because it could be on this side of the door one minute. It could be on this side of the door the next minute. It could appear. It could disappear. He could appear in one place. He could disappear and be in another place. What in the world kind of body is this? I'll give you my idea. I think. Remember the general resurrection over here? I think this is the sort of physical resurrected body that you and I will have at the end of time in the resurrection. That there is this amazing taking away of, of all that's sin and all that's brokenness and all that's hurt in our lives that, that our, our bodies are fully alive. And we are the people God originally created us to be fully, fully alive. Now that was a surprising idea. People, people had not thought about a resurrection body being like that. One last thing. Surprise. Big surprise. Big surprise. That the women were first. That they were there at the tomb. That they were the first to see Jesus. And depending on which gospel you look at, that they were the first to believe. Now guys, th this is where we kind of get back to that male-female thing. Do you, do you realize that in all four of the gospels, the, the women... Get there first. See Jesus first. Now, now, some people say, well, you know, it's one woman here, it's, but, but it's other women. There's a bunch of women in another place. You know, that just, that just suggests that these stories aren't real. But listen, if somebody has a car accident, you've got several witnesses looking at it, you're going you're to have different stories. They're going to talk about it from different perspectives. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. All right, so in, in John, you've got Mary Magdalene. In Luke, you, you've got Mary Magdalene. You've got uh, Mary, the mother of James and John, and you've got somebody named Joanna. In, Ma uh, in Matthew, you've got Mary Magdalene, and you've got the other Mary, which I think is the mother of John and James. And then in, in Mark, which is the absolute earliest of the Gospels, you you've got uh, Mary Magdalene, you've got Mary, the mother of James and John, and you've got somebody named Salome. I mean, it's just like women all over the place, women everywhere. I remember, it sort of reminds me of the words of that uh, female comedian who, who said this, whatever women do, they must do twice as well as men to be thought half as good. She pauses and then she says, luckily this is not difficult. <laughs> so you got all these women. Because why? 
Because the men hadn't really shown up yet. And the gospel stories give us the idea that the men were slower to buy in. That they were slower to believe. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. In, in ancient culture, women's testimony was not accepted in a court of law. And everybody knew that. I'm sorry to say that, women, but that's how, that's how it was. You weren't believed. And, and, and somebody puts out a crazy story like this, everybody's going to think, oh, it was just a bunch of hysterical women and what they thought and what, and what they believed. Now let me ask. Let me ask this question. If you're trying to get people to, to understand that this really happened, if you want people to know this really happened, why would you include a detail about these women if you knew that was going to shoot you in the throat? If you knew there was going to create doubt? Why, why would you do that? You would not do that. And yet every single one of the Gospels includes the detail about women being first at the tomb, women being the first to see Jesus alive, women the first to believe. Why? Why? I think there's only one reason. Because this has the feel of authenticity about it. This, this really happened. Alright, so I've talked about how they were shocked. I've talked about how they were dismayed. I've talked about how surprising and uncertain this was. But you know, there's also this element of joy in it. Because they, they realized it, Jesus really is alive. That, that means that everything that we did with him was on target. That, that all he taught about loving your enemies, about turning the other cheek, about being meek, about trusting God, all of that's true. The, the people Jesus associated with weren't just the folks that were respectable. He was spending his time all the time with those that nobody else cared for. It means all of that is true. It means all of that's right. There, there, there's this, this mixture of, of shock and confusion and joy in it. But, but I just think that's how it always is. So uh, a whole bunch of years ago now, I fell in love with... Uh, a woman, my wife Lynn. She was a student pastor down in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And uh, I was finishing up graduate school and uh, I had, didn't have anything to do for the summer. So I packed up my car and I just went down to Cocoa to be with her. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to live. She got me a job. This, this is kind of cruel. She got me a job finishing drywall and she got a friend of hers to let me stay in a pool house outside of their house. This pool house was not air conditioned. Talking about hot love. That was, that was, that was hot love. Woo! <laughs> we had a great time. We had a great, she was working primarily with the youth that, that year. Uh, I had to go back to school early because I had some stuff going on. So I left. She was going to come later. I'd only been back a couple of days when some of the kids from their youth group called me up and they said, hey, Tom, we want to give Lynn a really great going away present. And I said, oh, that sounds really, really good. Uh, what do you want to give? We want to give you. And I said, I, that sounds pretty cool. They flew me down. They boxed me up in a box <laughs> and took me to the going away party. Now, I'm in like a refrigerator-sized box, okay, huge. 
Lynn has this little bitty Chevette. She walks in and she says, there's no way I'm gonna be able to get the, this gift in, in my car. And somebody said, well, I think you'll find a way. I popped out with flowers like this. You all should have seen her face. It was just like this. She was totally shocked. It's kind of like the resurrection of I had gone and there I was back again. She was totally unprepared. I like to also think that at some point there was some joy in it. And there was. And there was. And there's, there's joy for us. When you've got a mixture of fear, dismay, confusion, and joy all together, doesn't that have the smell and the feel of authenticity to it? I'm telling you, this, this story is surprising, it's disturbing, it's confusing. It doesn't make sense in so many ways, but I think, I think it suggests that this is an event that truly happened. Now, here's my, here's my question to you. If, if it did, and I believe it did, I think you believe it. If it happened, what are we going to do in response to it? Because it calls for a response. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So come back, tune in online, all that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.